Welcome to Murder Most Foul, a podcast devoted to exploring famous murder cases of our time. Some solved, some unsolved, but all fascinating and guaranteed to raise the hairs on the back of your neck. I'm your host, Jim Solonowski. Today's episode... Pretty Little Killers. One, two, three, go. It started out as a joke, but on July 6th, 2012, high school friends Sheila Eddy and Rachel Schoff lured their friend Skylar Niece to an isolated area near Morgantown, West Virginia, and savagely stabbed her to death. Skylar's last words, Why? 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 There may never be an answer to that question. But Jeffrey Fuller tries to sort it out in his book, Pretty Little Killers, written with Daylene Barry. And Jeffrey joins us now on Murder Most Foul. And Skylar was working at her job at Wendy's. She was a high school uh, girl, and the two friends, Sheila and Rachel, also are high school. They're all uh, sophomores, I believe. Um, and... Skylar was working until 10 that night, and then she came home, um, said goodnight to her parents, and went to her room. And they didn't, I mean, that, that's often the way things went. And the next morning, um, Dave went up, got up to go to his job, and, and Mary got up to go to her job, and they just assumed Skylar was still asleep. Dave was worked within about a half a mile of their place where they lived. And he was going to pick up Skylar so that she could borrow the car. She would drop him back off at work at during his lunch hour. And then uh, he would get picked up by his wife, Mary, after work. Um, so that was the plan. Now, he went back to, to Skylar, to the apartment to get Skylar, and she didn't answer her door. And he knocked on it. It was locked. And so he, he thought that was kind of odd. And But the lock was very simple to break into and... So he got a clothes hanger and broke in, and she was not there. And her bed was unslept in. And she, the, there was a window in the bedroom that was open about a half an inch. And so Dave was kind of freaked that she wasn't there um, and called Mary. And Mary hadn't heard from her. So they started looking, looking around for her, calling all, all, their, all of Skylar's friends. And Dave got a hold of Sheila, who um, said she'd be right over. Sheila was Skylar's best friend. They'd known each other since second grade. Um, and so Sheila and her mother came over to help Mary and Dave canvas the neighborhood and, and search and see if they could find any hint about what happened. Um, along in that process, uh, Sheila admitted that um, uh, Skylar had sneaked out of the house the night before and that they had gone they being Sheila, Rachel, and Skylar had gone joyriding in uh, Star City for about 45 minutes, and they dropped Skylar off at uh, 12.30, I think they said, and they left. So 
the assumption at this point was that Skyler got into the car with got into a car with somebody else. It made arrangements to meet somebody else to to sneak out that night more. Um, but they they couldn't their canvas couldn't turn up anything. And when Mary remembered the uh, security cameras in the um, apartment, they got the landlord unlocked the security uh, room and checked out the video cameras and the, the video camera showed Skyler sneaking away just to sort of the top of her head bouncing along she climbed out the window and then they um she sneaks away and she gets into a car but the, the footage is too blurry to see exactly what kind of car it is all you can see is it's a silver uh some kind of silver sedan or or light you know off-white um so that they can't find anything they can't find any trace of her and um, Sheila is crying and uh, upset. She doesn't know where Skylar is. She even cried on the bed with Mary. Um, the, they, the two of them held each other and cried, looking, you know, wondering where Skylar was. They spent the next few days putting, you know, getting flyers, missing person, putting up flyers all over. There were a lot of volunteers that came out to help. Um, Mary and Dave were, I mean, not super well known in the community or anything, but they were, you know, they had plenty of friends and and uh, people who knew them and who were volunteering to help out. When the Star City Police, which is a very small police department, um, Star City is a half a square mile outside of Morgantown. And the police department really was four officers and a chief and a couple of uh, administrative people. So it was a very small department. Um, initially, there was a man who was detailed to help out looking for Skyler and find out what happened. Uh, he later retired and turned it over to Jessica Colbank, um, who was an officer. And Jessica, unlike everyone else so far involved in the case, Jessica suspected Sheila and Rachel had done something or knew something or, you know, she, and she interviewed the two of them and their, their stories matched up almost perfectly, which she thought, well, that's odd. That's a sign. Um, for those of you who don't know, if two witnesses or perpetrators or whatever, if their stories match perfectly, that's a very bad sign because any two people uh, recalling a certain event are going to recall it very differently. It's a sign that uh, they may have worked out their stories to some degree before they told them. Um, that's one of the warning signs that police look for. Um, so Jessica was very suspicious. She also later pointed out uh, to Daylene and I that um, she, she, I think Jessica was in her late twenties or something. She wasn't, she wasn't that far from high school and she, um, said that she recognized those girls, Sheila and Rachel. Not that she recognized those individuals, but she went to school with people like that. And um, she thought they may know more than they were saying. Well, Sheila was, uh, she was more the, I mean, all three of them were, you know, popular, pretty girls. They were, you know, they were just three chums. Um, Sheila was a little more, uh, had a reputation for being a little more uh, outrageous and more extreme in her, uh, 
you know, typical teenage narcissism. Um, and uh, Rachel was a uh, was known for being. She was an actress. She was very. Uh, she could sing very well. So she was kind of a star in the plays, school plays, and stuff like that. So uh, Skyler was uh, basically a good kid who uh, aspired to be a lawyer. Uh, eventually, she wanted to go into criminal law uh, to help people out, and so that was her thing. She was. She tended to be. Skyler tended to be the most. Um, I guess moralistic, for lack of a better word, of the three. She she was the one who was always sort of the conscience of the group. She'd always say, "Well, no, we can't do that. That's that, that's not nice," you know, that kind of thing. And uh, so, as you can imagine, that didn't sit well with the. All three of these people took full advantage of the social media and the cameras that, I mean, the f cell phones that are cameras and they're they were always videotaping and taking pictures and, and so on and so forth, uh, tweeting and Snapchatting and so forth. Um, and so there's a video of this, this particular game, but Sheila initiates it. Uh, so would you rather be shot or drown? That kind of thing. And, and, Skyler and, and Rachel would say what the, whatever their preferences were. Thanks to the ubiquitous YouTube, we have a recording of that particular version of Would You Rather from one such game played by the three BFFs. Would you guys rather suffocate or get shot? Get shot. Shot. As way depends on where. Would you rather in the head? Shot. shot. There'd be no suffering at all. Eaten by ants or suffocated? Suffocated. Drowning or suffocating? Suffocating. It's almost the same thing. I know, but it's not. <sighs> right because if head. you were on a pillow. Another pastime of the period was to post videos online of female friends making out with each other, mostly to rile up the boys. But in the case of Rachel and Sheila, this goofing around went a tad farther. In August um, of, I guess it would have been 2011, I think 2011 or 2012, um, they, were, they had a sleepover at uh, Rachel's house. And um, they were in the basement and Rachel's mother was upstairs asleep and... Um, Rachel and Sheila started kind of making out. Now, this all, um, we tracked this down because there was a rumor that maybe the, there was a, the lesbianism had something to do with the whole murder triangle, the triangle, and the, was it a love triangle and all that kind of thing. I don't, we got this out of uh, Skylar's diary. And she only mentioned the incident in one sentence of the diary. So it was just kind of casual and buried. And it said, uh, Sheila and Rachel, meanwhile, Sheila and Rachel did everything two girls can do together. Skylar felt trapped in the room because she couldn't just leave because she didn't want to alert Rachel's mother to any kind of things like that. So Skylar felt trapped while this went on. Now, as I say, it was, uh, 
it's hard to tell whether this was some kind of ongoing thing or not. Now, we talked to a guy named Kenneth Lanning, who was one of the original FBI profilers at Quantico, helped set up the um, profiling um, outfit at Quantico. Um, and his specialty was juvenile crimes. And one of the things I went back and listened, we had several long conversations with him. And by long, I mean two, three, four hour conversations. And I went back and listened to those tapes after we were pretty much done with everything. And I went back and listened to his original tape and he said, we asked him initially what he thought might be behind this. And he said, I don't know anything about this crime. I don't know anything about these girls. I don't know anything about the particulars here. But I'm guessing from my experience that it will involve the following. And he laid out, uh, he said it was essentially like a, a stew. When, when teenagers especially kill like this all kinds of ingredients go into this you can't usually pin it down to one thing um the the people themselves might say they did it because of x but they may or may not know and as you know jim from you know when you're 16 years old you think you did or did something for reason x but then you're thinking back on it five ten years later and you go no i don't that's not why i did it a lot of different ingredients went into the stew that they were all making. And if any one of the ingredients wasn't there, it wouldn't have happened. Sheila and Rachel were not shy about their plans to rid themselves of Skylar. They even sought out advice in a science class about what to do with her body months before the murder. Yes, and this would have been in... Uh, November, October, November of 2011. Um, so, and yes, it was a science class. And so they, they, there had re recently been a discovery of a body on university high school grounds. And so as part of a lesson there, I'm not sure exactly where he was going with the lesson, but as part of the lesson, they're discussing this, this issue in the class. And someone asks, either Sheila or Rachel, we don't know. And maybe they asked the teacher, maybe they just said it and other students heard it. We don't know that specifics, but someone asked, how would you dispose of a body? One might ask, as we often do in these cases, with all the many texts and tweets flying around the school, many very vicious and mean, didn't anyone suspect or at a minimum fear for Skyler's safety? Yeah, he, uh, Dan, his name was Daniel, and he, uh, he and Skyler were, were very close and um, uh, friends. And, and Daniel never really liked Sheila. Uh, he didn't trust her. He thought she was a loose cannon. And so that was a problem. And he thought Rachel, he was, Daniel was also a theater guy. So he knew Rachel a lot better because he, she was theater, he was theater and so on. Um, and he liked uh, Rachel. Um, like I say, he didn't trust Sheila, but he wouldn't have expected this kind of event. You know, he just thought, you know, he warned Skylar, they're going to be mean to you. They're, they're mean. So, um, but that didn't, you know, Skylar shrugged that off. Mean indeed. Sadly, many months pass with no news of what happened to Skylar. 
and Sheila and Rachel proceed with their lives as if nothing has happened. Okay, well, her disappearance was uh, July 5th. Uh, 2012 and um, so throughout the fall there was nothing much discovered although the police kept going back and back to Sheila and Rachel to get them to talk and um, Jessica Colbank was uh, probably the most suspicious one at that point um, and because she had by this time started to think well maybe they killed her but they, they just weren't sure. Um, they got warrants for their texting and um, phone calls and all that sort of thing. Now, the, they took a little while to get, and the metadata in those kind of things it doesn't, as you would think, well, it'll show the text, and that'll make it very clear what was going on. Well, no, it just shows when a text was sent or received. It doesn't show... Uh, any of that stuff. So you just get a list of, uh, and in, in the case of texting, you know, uh, Sheila could text, you know, several hundred times in a month. Texting and tweeting certainly played a big part in the lives of the principals and offers an insight into this crime, including who may have known about it as it was in its planning stages. In the book, Pretty Little Killers, there are many tweets presented that took place among Rachel, Sheila, and Skylar and their other classmates. To be fair, Skylar often gave as good as she got. A peek into Sheila's lack of interest in anyone but herself comes in an exchange between her and her cousin, Lexi Eddy. Sheila my father is telling me to kill my widow baby turtles. Lexi, that's the solution. You wouldn't have to worry about them anymore. Do you have a hammer on you? Sheila, that's exactly what he said. Ha 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 ha. It's not that I don't want them. It's just that they're fucking green. Cousin Lexi appears again in the book in a very telling exchange with Sheila as they chat about the plan Sheila and Rachel had to go on three. Lexi's closing comment, Oh, on three. That was a good idea. Sidebar. Sheila's cousin Lexi went on to star in season six of the MTV reality show Are You the One? On January 9th, 2020, Lexi was found dead in her apartment from an apparent drug overdose. All through the school year, that semester of the school year, there was uh, increasing pressure on, I mean, Daniel, for instance, the close friend of Skylar's who uh, didn't like Sheila, was really pressuring Sheila and Rachel because he saw Rachel in theater class. And he, just talk, just say what you know. Why don't you, why don't you say anything? And, and so he was kind of pressuring them both all semester. Um, and there was a big pr production in 
October, November that, that Rachel was in and managed to, despite some problems, managed to hold it together and, and do the performance. But she um, and her mother went to visit her grandmother um, in, <clears throat> excuse me, Virginia Beach and right around Christmas time. And when they came back, they were, they were going to come back and let me set this up. Rachel, actually, her parents were split and she spent some time, most of the time at her mom's house and then some time at her dad's house. And you, one could speculate, as many of us have done, um, but we have no proof of anything. But it, the speculation is she liked going to her dad's because she got, you know, was a little less uh, strict with her. And so she had more of, you know, the run of things um, at her dad's place. And her dad was in town also, which was easier for her. Her mother was way out near Canyon, a uh, small community near here. Um, so anyway, so her mother and her are coming back from Virginia Beach and Rachel starting to say something and, and they pull into the driveway and uh, her father is waiting for him. And she didn't expect that. Well, it turns out that uh, mom and dad have been talking. That's uh, Patricia and Rusty have been talking and have been planned to move back in together and both have control of Rachel for a while because she seems to be kind of losing it. They're a little concerned about her. And so uh, that, that news uh, precipitates a large fight. <laughs> and she, with Rachel, I mean, uh, threatening to kill herself and locking herself in, in a room and the, the door being, I mean, it was, a, it was just a big screaming fight. And at some point, Patricia's mother called 911 and they called for police help. Um, so the cops came to get her and um, have her admitted to Chestnut Ridge. It's a mental health facility here in the Morgantown area. And so she went into the hospital at that point. Um, now she came out of the hospital. They discharged her several days later and she was taken right to her lawyer's office. So this all looks prearranged. Everything we heard about it, it sounds like it was something prearranged because she went right, Rachel went right from the mental health facility to her lawyer's office where her lawyer and Ronnie Gaskin, Gaskin's uh, state police guy and, uh, uh, an FBI agent were waiting for her to take her confession. And so Rachel starts hemming and hawing and saying things, little things. And finally, someone, I think it's Ronnie, says, uh, just, to, you know, stop. Tell us what happened. And she got a little smile on her face and looked up and said, we stabbed her. 
we didn't want to be friends with her anymore. And Ronnie said that his pen fell out of his hands at that point because he was so shocked by that. Um, so that's that was where the, it turned into a confession. Strangely, Sheila was not arrested right after Rachel's confession, but that was by design. In the case of Rachel, uh, the police kept it quiet. You know, there were rumors going around a lot. And a lot of the rumors, of course, had to do with Sheila and Rachel because everybody knew they were good friends with Skylar. So, you know, their names are naturally going to come up. Um, but the, she was, Sheila, I mean, Rachel was not arraigned until uh, May. And she confessed in January. Um, one of the reasons for that, one of the main reasons was Rachel was a juvenile and they had a plan to take her in as a juvenile, run a hearing, transfer her to adult status, transfer, and then, uh, you know, lay the charges and, and, and do the arraignment. And they wanted to do all that at once so that no word would leak out. Um, and then as soon as they arraigned uh, Rachel, the DA or assistant DA or somebody called Ronnie and said, okay, go get her, go arrest her. And so then they went and arrested Sheila. Um, so it was all, it's all like dominoes. They wanted to have it all done and outside of the public eye before anybody could, you know, they were a little nervous that, that Sheila would run away or that, um, you know, mom would dis make her disappear or, you know, whatever. Um, so they wanted all that to happen. Bang, bang, bang. Sheila had a particularly bad case of that teenager thing where uh, I know I'm smarter than everybody. And uh, in Sheila's case, she was smarter than everybody, but uh, she wasn't really. Um, Jessica and, some, and, and everybody pretty much said that Sheila seemed like when the police would question her repeatedly, she seemed like she was enjoying it. Um, and I watched them, both of them, obviously in court. And I came to think after a while that Sheila had this neutral kind of face and people were really tearing into her online about that, about, oh, she's a, such a psychopath and she's got no expressions and all that. And I, I recognize though, that expression on her face also said to me, um, that she suddenly was aware she was in a situation she didn't want to be in and to reveal any feelings would be to show weakness. So that's not what I'm going to do. That's what I think. I think it was as much as being an arrogant teenager, it's just as likely that she was just very scared. The gruesome details of the murder of Skylar Niece, as recounted at the sentencing hearing for Rachel Schof, are as cold as they are disturbing. Rachel and Sheila were driving around in Sheila's car and they, maybe they had prearranged this with, with Skylar, maybe not, this, that's not clear. But um, anyway, Skylar agreed to go out with them and Skylar may have been thinking that um, the friendship was coming apart. I mean, it, it, it clearly was by all the tweets, all the things hap 
people were reporting and so forth. Between the previous fall, 2011, and that fall, 2012, um, their relationship had just definitely started to fragment. And so it sounded more and more, uh, Skyler was getting resigned to the fact that they're framed. Skyler Neese disappeared on July 5th, 2012. And this is information from the documentation of her statement to police on that day. She said, we stabbed her, referring to herself and Sheila Eddy, stabbing Skylar Neese. They killed Skylar because the girls always fought with Skylar and she was, quote, in the way of the friendship between Rachel and Sheila. In the spring of 2012, Sheila and Rachel first joked about killing Skylar during science class when one of them said, we should kill her. And they looked at each other with a sense of agreement on that statement. Sheila and Skylar according to Rachel Schoff, always fought and the animosity between Skylar or towards Skylar intensified after Skylar accompanied Sheila to a beach vacation that summer. And we know from facts that such a vacation did occur. On July 5th, 2012, Sheila and Rachel agreed that it's today Today was when they should commit the murder. Since springtime, the girls had several conversations about killing Skylar, and it was agreed that the murder should occur before Rachel left for church summer camp. The night was agreed upon because Skylar was working that night and into the evening and into the later evening and she would be able to sneak out of her home easily after she had left work for the night. Over the month before the murder, Sheila and Rachel had planned some of the details and concluded that they needed to buy knives, get a shovel, and go to Brave, Pennsylvania where this murder would occur. So on July 5th, Rachel Schoff took a shovel from her father's home. Sheila Eddy brought two knives that belonged to her mother. And they waited outside Schuyler's home. They drove to her apartment that night. They called to say they were waiting for her. And she came out and met them, got into their car. Skylar was under the impression that the three girls were just going to drive around, uh, maybe drive up to Brave, Pennsylvania, where they had been on other occasions and smoked some marijuana. So she had brought along a bong with her, and Rachel Schoff had brought along some other smoking pipe. When they arrived there at that location in the countryside, the three girls got out of the car 
and were out of the car for some moments when at the agreed upon signal of a countdown, one, two, three, Rachel Schof and Sheila Eddy attacked Skylar Niece and stabbed her to death. Skylar attempted to run away, but Rachel Schof tackled her. She told police. Rachel Schof described the scene as having lots of blood and it was never cleaned up. Following the attack and blood remained on the gravel road, Rachel Schof estimated that Skylar was stabbed 10 times before she died. And she explained that during the attack, Skylar's niece, Skylar niece's neck made weird sounds and they both continued to stab her until those noises stopped. At the time of the murder, Skylar, Skylar was dressed in a yellow tie-dye shirt and green shorts. She had taken a purse with her that was left in the car. They threw that purse away. They thought Skylar's cell phone would remain where her body was left. And in fact, it was found there, Your Honor. That day before taking Skylar in the dark of night, or through that evening, Rachel and Sheila drove around Star City and in the area, preparing themselves. They had concealed knives on their bodies that had been wrapped in towels by Sheila Eddy. And they took that shovel with them. And they arrived at Skylar's home and told her they were waiting for her. They were waiting to kill her. In early January, Rachel leads the authorities to the spot where she and Sheila left Skylar's body. And they got out there and there was so much snow that they, Sheila couldn't tell exactly where they were. I mean, Rachel, not Sheila, couldn't tell where they were. And she they just said, OK, we're just going to have to come back when the snow is gone. Um, so they had to wait another couple of weeks. Um, and actually they uh, had trouble, some trouble finding it anyway, and, and only found it when a, there was a, a dog, a cadaver dog with them, and his, some little uh, device, what was it, on the dog's collar, fell off, and turns out it fell right on the place where um, Skyler was um, buried.
her head was not there um, because of animal action. Well, Ronnie and, and at least one or two other uh, policemen went back out to the area uh, in March and they were kind of looking and there's fields and then they, they found it. They found the head. It was not far. It was like maybe a quarter mile away. Rachel Schof and Sheila Eddy were given long sentences for their thrill kill. Ironically, the two BFFs are serving their time together in the same prison. Yeah, um, they're both in Lakin Prison, which is, um, that's one of the more common questions we get is, why are they both in the same prison? Well, that's because there's only one women's prison in West Virginia. So the judge had ordered a study made right after, I think it was after Sheila was, or after Rachel was sentenced. Um, there was a, they wanted to see, judge wanted to see if it was possible at Lakin to keep the two of them apart. And so social media's influence on this situation, we don't know what it was. Um, but they were pretty much the first generation to be raised completely in social media. Um, and we had, a, there was a lot of talk from other high school students who we interviewed that, that social media was to blame for this. Now, I don't, I don't think it was the thing to blame, but um, I do wonder what, the, what role social media plays in that. And one thing that was, we put in the book, it was a kind of a, little section uh, at the end about how parents can avoid some of these same problems. Um, one of the problems with, with Skyler uh, and Sheila and Rachel was that they would stay up texting all night. And so their, their parents, excuse me, their parents had no idea this was happening. And uh, that's probably not good. Um, it's kind of a trend that we hear more about now is that parents having their teenage kids turn over their phones at nine at night or 10 at night or whatever to just to prevent that kind of thing from happening. I uh, interviewed uh, a principal of a high school around here at one point and talked to him and I asked him what's different these days um, with the kids and their beefs, especially over a weekend. So he would describe, he described, he said it used to be that Say on Friday, two guys are beefing and they're, you know, da, da, da. And then they go home over the weekends. They forget about it. And on Monday, they're their best of friends. Now, because of the social media, they're sniping at each other all weekend and everything's building up. And then on Monday, you got to fight on your hands first thing in the morning. There you go. Um, so that's one plausible aspect of the social media that, is simple and it doesn't rely on, you know, what, what is this social media changing us into? It doesn't, it's nothing like that. It's just a straightforward thing. It says now with social media, you can continue the fight. And so it keeps fights alive. I apologize to you, my listeners, for not having an answer for you to the question, why? 
Many folks, smarter than I, with letters after their names, ponder this question. Many theories have been put forward as a way to comfort and maybe prevent the next group of pretty little killers. Officer Jessica Colbanks may have put it best. She didn't think the lesbian affair between Rachel and Sheila had anything to do with their so-called joke. She believes in the end, quote, it was completely a thrill kill, unquote. And what about Rachel and Sheila? Both continue to serve out their sentences at Lakin Correctional Center in Mason County, West Virginia. It is rumored that Rachel has married another inmate from the prison. Sheila Eddy still refuses to take any responsibility for her actions in the death of her once BFF and did not speak at her sentencing. Rachel Schoff did. I'm so sorry. I don't know if there's a proper way to make this apology because there are not even words to describe the guilt and remorse that I feel each day for what I've done. The person that did that was not the real me, not the person I am, not what I'm made of and not what I believe in. I don't think I ever thought this would actually happen. I became scared and caught up in something that I did not want to do. I never realized the gravity of my actions and how many people I've hurt. I hurt the niece family and those who love Skylar. I hurt my parents and shamed my family. I hurt my extended family and all of my friends who loved me. I hurt my teachers and those who believed in me. I hurt my church family, my community, and those who trusted me. And I hurt my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May God bring eternal peace to Skylar and the entire niece family. Again, I'm so sorry, and I pray each day for everyone involved, and I pray each day for forgiveness. So I leave you there with Rachel Schof's Crocodile Tears. I want to thank my guest, Jeffrey Fuller. The book Pretty Little Killers, available wherever you buy your books. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Murder Most Foul, and you will spread the word. Until next time, stay safe. And for God's sakes, don't murder anyone. <laughs>